Welcome to Real Faith. You're listening to Faith FM. I'm Robbie, and this is our co-host, Beck. You! How are you going today, Beck? I am super good. I'm super stoked. I finished my last exam of the semester you. last night at like 10.30. Congratulations. I so exciting. I know, uh, holidays. So, oh, that must be a good feeling. It's a, it's a really good feeling. I kind of had that feeling last week, didn't yeah, I? Uh, absolutely. Now you're having that feeling. It's- I know. I was kind of stressed a little bit still last <laughs> week, but now I'm free. Free as a bird. It's this so is good. good. This is good. I think I might give some of the uh, radio show, you know, I guess planning administrative tasks to you so that you can do them. So I don't have to worry about these things. (laughs) That sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) So we hope that you're having a great day out there and that you're not stuck in too much traffic just yet. I suppose that if you're driving through the school zones, you might still be. Yeah. But um, we've got a great show lined up for you today. I'm super excited. But before we talk about that, I just had a thought. I had a terrible dream last night. Okay. And you're probably dying to know what that terrible dream was. Not dying, but I could know. Yes. Well, see, that's the problem. In the dream, <laughs> I was nearly dying. Okay. Uh, somebody, you ever? Do you have? Do you have any pet peeves, Beck? Pet peeves? Yeah. When people don't change the toilet paper roll when it's at the end, oh, and yeah. they leave it for yeah, the I next person. Nay. <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> my one of my biggest pet peeves is when people talk to me about sharks. Okay. Right, because I'm a oh. surfer. And I just pre- I just choose to pretend that, that sharks aren't aren't real. Okay, that they're um, not. So there. as far as I'm yeah. concerned, there are no sharks in oh, the okay. ocean, and that helps me to th- to enjoy my surfing better without having that you know that sharky da da feel da 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 when it's a murky day or it's something yeah, like that. But last feel. night I had a I had a nightmare about a 22 foot great white shark. Wow! And I was surfing and I had to paddle in and I was trying to rescue this. Yeah, guy. yeah, yeah. Wait, you anyway. were trying to rescue a guy? Yeah, I was trying to. Well, yeah. I was did trying you, to talk him out into coming back into the. Oh, did safe you rescue zone. him? But anyway, did you rescue him? Though that's what I really. I woke know. up. I don't know what oh. happened. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is disappointing. We'll never know. The reason I thought week, about guys. sharing this <laughs> is that we have somebody that we're talking about on the show today. Yes. Who has a vision? Mm-hmm. So we've been talking about our encounters with Jesus, encountering yeah. Jesus yeah. mini series, which we're actually coming to the end of. Mm-hmm. We're almost through with that, and we're going to shift into another mini-series, which you'll soon find out. You'll have to listen in next week to find out. Yeah. But we're going to be talking today about someone who met Jesus after the resurrection, and that man was Saul, yes. also known as Paul. And it got me thinking, have you ever had a dream that was so vivid that it, it, it seemed real? Wow. Yeah. And another question beyond that, because what Paul saw was a vision of Jesus mm-hmm. that was real. Yeah. It wasn't just a dream. It was, it was actually something that appeared, yeah. and it was a supernatural experience. Yeah. And he saw the risen Jesus in a bright light who spoke to him, and we're going to learn about that story today. Super exciting to see yeah. how did Saul encounter Jesus. We're also looking forward to hearing a bit of a testimony from one of my in-laws' relatives today, so we can look forward to having that from Lynn today. This is Anna Beden Breathe. You're getting less 
everybody if you have questions if you have questions about any biblical things things that you've been thinking of during the week we'd love to be able to answer them and so we'd love you to text in on 0491-064-669 or you can call us on 1-800-324-843 or you can hit up our facebook page on faithfm.com.au yeah Yes, excellent. And on Facebook. And on at, Facebook. At Faith FM Australia. That's what I was that trying to remember. Up. I was like, where is it? <laughs> you got it. You got it. I'm super excited because it's come that time of the show. I know. We're to find out about the weird and wonderful world. That's oh, yeah. cool. We're <laughs> going to have an intro, but I'm, I'm waiting. That's going to be it. <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk about a part of the body. I'm going to give you two guesses to guess what part of the body. Uh, I'm guessing nostril. No. <laughs> Wrong. Okay, well, what's my... Do I get a hint? A hint? Or do I, am I just um, supposed to guess? Okay, so it has the most muscles. Ooh, this has the most muscles. I have a, I have a guess. Yes. What else? Can you, can you give me another hint? No, that is the guess. That's the hint? You have, that's, that's the it. hint. The I'm most guessing, muscles. I'm guessing it's the tongue. No. Ooh. It's the eye. The eye. The human eye. 
Oh, man, the human eye is fascinating. It is. So I'm going to tell you some fascinating facts. Please do. All right. So your eyes can focus on 50 different objects every second. Just my eyes or everyone's Just eyes? Just your eyes. Okay, everyone's eyes. Go. Everyone it. else has got like 150. <laughs> <laughs> so 50 objects at once. 50 objects at wow. once. So in our body, the only organ more complex than the eye is the brain. You're serious. So it's the brain than the eye. That's because it. the brain is the most complex thing. The ability for the human mind and the human brain to think is, yeah. the mo- is more complicated than any supercomputer we've been able to conceive of. Yeah, yeah. It's the, it's the most, well, mind-blowing. Forgive the, ex- <laughs> forgive the pun, but it's the most mind-blowing thing. So the yeah. eye is actually the second the most second. complicated part of the body. Absolutely. Wow. So. It's pretty incredible. It really is, is incredible. It is to, really like, incredible. Like, if you think that you can put your hand in front of your face and focus on that, and then you can remove your hand and you automatically readjust to whatever it is that you're you're looking at, yes, whatever distance that is away, it's pretty astounding how quick and how crisp and how a camera so like 4K doesn't even come close to yeah. what your eye can see. So what you're saying about the quickness here, your eye is the fastest contracting muscle in the body. Wow. So it's like the quickest contracting. Is that like when you in- dilate your pupils? Dilate, yeah, I would say that that's what it is at time. The wow. dilation, and hmm, oh, this one's cool. Okay, so have you heard parts of your body that keep growing throughout your whole life? Okay, like I've heard that your nose yeah. and your ears continue yeah. to grow for your whole the rest life. of your life. So they do. this makes me wonder: was this still true when, like, Methuselah, the oldest man that ever was lived, nine hundred and sixty-nine like, yeah, years, did, did he, he look like, like an really- elephant? <laughs> And was he more like an know. Indian elephant That's or an African cr- elephant I don't at that know. stage? And did because their the African get elephant has bigger ears and a bigger nose. So. Yes. And did their <laughs> hearing get better because their ears got better and they had like a greater... I wonder if perhaps the reason <gasps> that they get bigger is because the sense of smell and the sense of hearing is actually decreasing. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And it assists. Very, that makes, yeah, I mean, it makes thoughts, a bit of sense to me. There's, I'm no scientist, but that makes a bit of sense to me. <laughs> so, the Although nose, the hair seems to continue to grow thicker as well as you get older, I've noticed. Anyway, yeah. let's not talk about my problems of <laughs> passing the age of 30. <laughs> so the nose and the ears, yeah, they keep growing. Thank you. <laughs> but our eyes, they actually are the same size from birth. From birth? From birth. So, your so eyes, that's the reason that's that babies look... Yeah. So well, wide-eyed. Yeah. So wide-eyed. So yeah. I was gonna say look like aliens, but <laughs> I love kids. But they 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 have a they have a peculiar look about them, don't yeah. they? And part of that is that their faces are very disproportionate yes. to an adult face. Yeah, and their They're, heads are very big. Yeah, very wide big. to fit their eyes. That's right. Maybe that's the reason. I have no idea. Oh, I love it. <laughs> that is so cool. And this is something that was cool. So you've I'm sure everybody's heard about our cells being replaced in our body. And so this is something that I didn't know. The only cells that survive from the time you're born until death are contained in your eyes. Really? Yeah. So they're not replaced. They so this stay. is why this is why I, my vision is getting worse and worse still by the year. <laughs> Probably. Do you, do you wear glasses, Beck? Yeah, I wear glasses, but contacts mostly at the okay, moment. Okay, so are you short-sighted or long-sighted? Short-sighted. Short-sighted. So yeah. for those of you that are, are, are not sure which one that is, that means you can see things up close, yeah. but you can't see things clearly from a distance. Yeah. You know, I find it very interesting that there's people who have, who are long-sighted, that their vision can actually get better with time. But people who are short-sighted tend to just get worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Which is very interesting. And and I find it really interesting because as people get older, they tend to become far-sighted as well. So you yes. need reading glasses, for example. Yeah, so for yeah. someone like myself, yeah. who's had glasses for 20 plus years, 
that means that I'm gonna have I'm gonna have to get bifocals. It's just sure. Yeah. My my depth of field is like two inches in front of my face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you did you have really thick glasses when you were a kid, like those super thick ones? Uh, no, but they're pretty thick now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder then. That's where people's eyes can correct themselves, actually. So if they're having like um like distant problems and then as they get older it corrects itself they don't need to wear glasses in the middle somewhere in the middle mm. there i'm curious did you pick this because we're talking about saul today i did pick it ah. because of that yeah very cool yeah uh, the story that we're going to be looking at um if you guys want to have a check of it before is in acts chapter nine and we're talking about saul and it has a section talking about his eyes and i thought ah oh, eyes eyes it all made sense that's so good yeah i love I love that the, the Bible talks about seeing and tasting that the Lord is good. Yeah. Uses those senses as a way to illustrate it for us. That's cool. Thanks for sharing, Beck. This no is This is Janine Orwa, Little Bird. Little bird, don't fly so low. You were made to soar. This I do know. But your wings are tired Bruising clip by nasty winds Winter's coming, food is scarce Friends are few and money spares Don't worry Don't worry Little bird Buys you two sparrows This little bird doesn't cost much Yet God ensures they never fall Without him knowing as such My friend, you work more than many sparrows If a sparrow means so much to him How much more you work A Bethlehem bird than the love that would die Sweet and sincere Will another 
little bird doesn't cost much Get caught in shorts, they never fall Without him knowing as such My friend, you work more than many sparrows If a sparrow means so much to him How much more you work A Bethlehem bird than a love that would die One penny buys you two sparrows This little bird doesn't cost much Welcome back to Real Faith on Faith FM. And just remember, if you've got any questions or burning things that you want to know about from the Bible or about God or Jesus or whoever, I just want to uh, encourage you that you can call or text in at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM or text in at 0491-064-669. And we've now come to that portion of our show where we are going to hear somebody's testimony of how they've encountered Jesus. And today we have Lynn on the show. Thanks for coming in, Lynn. Hey, Robbie. Hey, Beck. It's great to be here. And so for those that aren't aware, Lynn is actually my wife's auntie. Yes. And so we've gotten to know each other quite well over the years, but I'm super excited to hear more about this this story. So I'm going to turn it over and you can tell us a bit more about this encounter that you had with Jesus. Okay. Well, I guess you could say I just love conversion stories. Yeah, I'm, that's I'm awesome. I'm a sucker for conversion stories. Yeah. And um, so... To hear how God works in a person's life is just absolutely amazing. And um, you don't sort of like think of yourself as being in that situation. Yeah, 100%. You often hear other people's stories and you're like, that's an amazing story, but you don't think you have one yourself. But I remember being Mm -hmm. taught years ago, actually by Robbie, that everyone has a story, even if you don't think you have a story. Yeah, absolutely. So... Like I, I was blessed to um, be raised in a Christian family, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, as I said, I'm a classic cruiser. I I just love to, you know, no stress, just cruise through life, so to speak. And my religious experience was pretty much like that. Mm-hmm. It was pretty cruisy. Um, sure, I had a head of knowledge, but. Um, yeah, just hadn't made that trip from the head to the heart. Mm-hmm. And um, God was just waiting for the right time for this to happen to me. And um, it came in the form of a really bad situation that happened in our family. And I just love the way um, that Romans eight twenty eight talks about that God can bring good out of bad. And Amen. I found that he did this mm. for us. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, so I just wanted to share with you um, about my younger sister Jen's journey. Um, she'd had a son and um, Callan was a gorgeous kid full of life and she felt like she wanted to have another child. So um, after a lot of um, trials, things didn't go to plan and she lost a lot of babies um, 
they That's tried tough. going down. Mm. Oh, huge, wow. yeah. huge stress. And yeah. then when they tried to go through um, the, oh, what do you? The IVF process? Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Mind blank out. Sorry, That's all right. folks. Yeah. IVF. Oh, mate, that was just a whole new level of mm. stress on the family. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, the great thing was... Um, she went through an experience where she nearly died. Wow. And uh, we were freaking out big time. She had to be airlifted to um, Perth Royal Hospital. Yes. Yeah. They lived in the country down at a place called Manjima. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, we thought we were going to lose her. But um, anyway, it was the result of an atopic pregnancy. Yeah. Mm. And, um, yeah, it ruptured. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, she, she was in big surgery, trouble. surgery, yeah. Big time, wow. yeah, yeah. That the local hospital couldn't do. Yeah. So moving on from nearly losing her, and so that meant she lost her fallopian tube. And long story short, the doctor said she only had 5% chance of ever falling pregnant. Okay, again. wow, yeah. Mm, 5%, yeah. not good odds. So anyways, um, the the thing that came out of all that was it put the whole family on their knees, just praying, praying, praying. Yeah. It's and amazing how that happens um, often. I think like you're saying, even in, in Christian families where you can all be Christian, but kind of cruising yeah, and just doing yeah. life the same. And then a situation comes and suddenly you're like, we really, we really need God. Oh yeah. Big time. That there was only one solution yeah. and that was God could only mm, solve this one. problem yeah but anyway so um after the saving of a life um we're then praying okay five percent chance god for another baby this is going to be a huge miracle mm-hmm. and blow me down if god wasn't so good that he graced jenny with um a little baby girl wow amen yeah amen that's amazing it was we were just absolutely pumped yeah that god had answered our prayers yeah that jenny was finally pregnant and she had the possibilities of um, a little sister for Callan. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that it was, was awesome. It was just totally fantastic. Beautiful. God had heard our prayers. Yeah. And how did how did that impact you? Oh, mate, when you get answers to prayer, it's like rod and high. Yeah. You know, it is absolutely pumped. Uh-huh. So we were celebrating all that and um, then she had um, a bowel obstruction happen and we were told that she was going to lose the baby because they were going to have to operate on her um, mm. to fix the problem up and she ended up losing about a metre of bowel. Wow. So, yeah, we're pretty scared. Like, we were back on our knees again, like, God, this is a miracle, baby. Um, Please, you know, you can override this. And God answered our prayers again. Amen. And we're going to take a break from the story. I'm on the edge of my seat here, but we're going to come back to that. This is Fernando Ortega. I will sing your praise. Open my lips, O Lord, I will sing your praise forever. A broken spirit and a contrite. 
Welcome back to Real Faith. We're just catching up with the end of this story here from Lynn. So last last we finished, so Jen was on the way to be flown to the hospital. That's right, yeah. Um, yeah, we were just like freaking out that she's going to lose the baby. But, you know, God's so Horrific. good. Yeah. This is now a twice-over miracle baby yeah. because she managed to survive. Amazing. Yeah. major surgery bowel surgery so we're like yeah god's got plans for this little girl yeah and um then when she reached about 22 weeks um she started to go into labor and um we're like oh, oh something's not right here mm. and um yeah then started the journey of God, you've got to keep that baby and Jenny together as one. Please, may she not lose the baby. And back on our prayers, you know, knees praying flat yeah. out as a family again. And um, we're just like, God, you can't let this twice over miracle baby just not make it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Anyway, so the sad story was um, we lost Ashton mm-hmm. and. I can't begin to tell you Mm. how shattering that was to see my little sister go through that. Yeah. And as a big sister, you know, your job is you look after your siblings, you know, and to not be able to do anything for your precious sister and just see her little family go through that hurt and to see them sitting there in the hospital nursing, um, this little baby that fought when it was born for 18 minutes of life. But because her little lungs weren't mature enough, Mm -hmm. um, she couldn't breathe. Mm. Um, Today, um, probably there would have been a fair chance of saving her little life. But, um, yeah, at this this time, it was too premature. Mm. So we, we were gutted. And I'm like, where the hell is God? You know, mm. we prayed so hard for this and I got so angry with yeah. God yeah. that my faith in God just went like poof with a puff of wind and mm-hmm. just the anger set in then and the rot. Um, and it's not a good place to be. But you know what? God wants to hear from us even when we're angry. Yeah. And so I gave him a fair piece of my mind and over the months it pursued, um, God, just listen to me until I finally um, ran out of steam, I suppose you could say, with yeah. all the... And he was listening the whole time. He was. He yeah. never, ever left. And it didn't hit me until one day I took my son up to catch the school bus. And as I um, turned around to walk back home, muttering under my breath about, God, you're so unfair. How could you do that to my family? And my precious sister's still not over this. And rah, rah, rah. And as I looked up, the sky was half jet black with rain clouds, and the other half was brilliant blue. And I could see a full arc rainbow going right across the sky, right above our house as I was walking towards it. And, um, It was like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Lynn, I'm there with you when the times are really dark. Can you see how brilliant the rainbow is? Wow. Then have a look at the sunshiny side and see how faint the rainbow is. Yeah. Wow. And suddenly something in my heart 
just melted and I realized that yeah I was sure cranky with God but he was still right there tracking along in the pain um, with me with my sister and so I can actually attribute that precious little girl's life um, was saving my soul because I, I really fully believe I was such a Pharisee, you know. I didn't have that deep heart relationship with Jesus and it was this really soul-destroying time mm. that actually gave me a heart for Jesus. Yeah. And to see that he was real and he's with you with no matter what level of pain you're going through. And I love that text in Psalms that talks about God catches your tears in a bottle because that's how precious they are to him as well mm. oh it's so beautiful lynn mm. oh, thank you for for opening up and sharing such a vulnerable part of your story yeah it just it's just a reminder isn't it that mm. in the midst of those challenges god is there mm, absolutely. Some, and i love that i love that god's big enough to take the anger to take the questions to take the struggle that he hasn't abandoned us in the middle of that, and he's not, he's not too small to handle our questions, our doubts, our fears. And isn't that a beautiful thing? Yep, absolutely. And God is good. Like you mentioned in, in Romans chapter 8, it says that not, not that all things are good, but that all things work together for good mm. to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Yeah, and then just, just to finish on that note, um, the thing that came out of this was a very close family friend of ours. He always fancied himself as a bit of a muso, but he could never quite get it together for a song. And God gave him this special song just for little Ashton for her funeral. And Jenny and Mark were then able in turn to use that special, special song um, for the SIDS um, website in mm. um, Perth, WA, yeah, and they put yeah. it up on site. And so who knows how many people precious little Ashton's life has been able to help. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Lynn. No worries. Thank God you. God bless you. And um, I'm sure I'll be seeing more of you soon, seeing as your family now. That's right. Got no <laughs> choice. <laughs> He's stuck with us. <laughs> Trials and tempers 
Real Faith on Faith FM. I just wanted to put out there that if you have any questions or comments that you'd like to make, remember that you can call in at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM or text in at 0491-064-669. We would absolutely love to hear from you. And we're going to get into our Bible study now. What a powerful story that was. We are jumping right in. So I'm going to give a little bit of background context because we're looking at a man named Saul and his encounter with Jesus. Now, you might know him as Paul, 
So he went by two names, um, and we can talk about that probably another time. But Saul was a Hebrew name, and Paul was a Greek name. Okay, I didn't know that, actually. Isn't that interesting? And Saul, a little bit of background on Saul. He was a man born of Tarsus. He was a Roman citizen by birth and also a Jew. Yes. He studied under the Pharisee, or sorry, the, the rabbi Gamaliel, who was a, a prominent religious leader of the day in the mm-hmm. first century. Yep. And he was well, well equipped. It's, it's, it's believed that he probably spoke multiple languages. He was very well educated. Yeah. As opposed to most of the other disciples, really, most of the other apostles. And so he came in in a, a very different position. But what we're going to read about today is Saul's encounter with Jesus. And yes. to start that off, Exciting. we're actually going to go to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, and can I get you to read back for us Acts chapter 7, verse 57 through 8, verse 1. And the context here is that there was a man by the name of Stephen who was the first Christian martyr. He was the first person to ever be put to death for his faith in Jesus Christ. And this took place in front of the Jewish Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. And here we have our first appearance of Saul in the Bible. Go for it. So what are the Sanhedrin? Sorry, the Sanhedrin. We'll we'll talk about that in a moment. We will talk about them. Okay, cool. So we've just had Stephen talking, and then this crowd appears really angry. So verse 57 says, Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. All right, so this is a full-on story, and yeah. it's so hard to actually communicate the, the, the gravity of what's going on here. Yeah. But this is the first person who's ever been put to death for their faith in Jesus Christ. And it says that here, all of the witnesses who were there involved in the stoning, the, the uh, I guess, the capital punishment against this man, Stephen, for what they considered to be blasphemy, yeah. was Saul. And Saul was this young man standing here, and they all laid their jackets, basically, right? They laid down their robes. He was looking after their coats. That's right. So yeah. here, you've given, you're, if you're Saul, you've been given the task, like, watch after our things as you consent upon what we're doing yep. and putting this man to death. Yeah. And it says that Saul approved of what they were doing. Yeah. And then persecution begins against Christians in earnest mm-hmm. in Jerusalem to the point where all of the Christians, this is three and a half years after the resurrection of Jesus, by the way. Yeah. All of the Christians, with the exception of the 12 apostles, right, have fled the city. Yeah. They end up being scattered, right? That's right. They're trying to get away from this persecution, trying to get away from being chased and everything. That's right. So we've got the persecution starting where people who are Christian, because by the way, pretty much all the Christians were Jews. Yeah. And so they were still meeting in the synagogues. Mm -hmm. They were still meeting in the temple. They were meeting from house to house. They were gathering together on Sabbath, etc. And they were engaging as Jews, but they were they were Jews who believed that Jesus was the fulfillment of the messianic prophecies of Scripture. Yeah, prophecies, excuse me. And so this is the background context. The persecution begins, and this is where we jump into our story of Saul, because Saul goes from being just a man who's approving of this persecution to being the one who is the most zealous and leading out in how it's taking place. Yes, around 
the world, essentially, because he is the one who's taking the persecution outside of Jerusalem. And I kind of see him as being full of like righteous indignation, the kind of way that he like, yeah, maybe this this stoning of Stephen, I don't know, the devil gets um, gets into his ear, basically whispering and, and it fires him up. And he's like, I'm going to go. I'm going to get all of these people. I'm going to work solidly. I'm really zealous. That's kind of the word that you would think of for him. Yeah, totally. Oh, we're going to talk more about that. So let's keep reading in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Yeah. And so this is going to bring up a little bit about the Sanhedrin. It's going to bring up a little bit about that what you're talking about there, and we'll explore that a bit more. So can I get you to read Acts chapter 9 and verse 1 through verse 4? Yeah. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Whoa, right? Yeah. This is a full-on story. Like all the other encounters of Jesus have been full-on, but this is full-on in a different way. So let's, let's break this down. In the first two verses, what's going on here? So we see, yeah, kind of that zealousness that I was saying about Saul. Um, it says he's still breathing threats and murder. So he, he's, he's, I don't know, he wants to get rid of these Christians so much so that he wants them to die. The, the conviction that he feels is that he needs them gone. And so he's going to get a letter so that he can basically have permission to go and get these people, go and find them. That's exactly right. So he comes with religious and political authority from the Jewish leaders, particularly from the high priest. Mm-hmm. And so this would have been, you know, something that would have been approved of by the Sanhedrin, which was a group of religious and judicial leaders within the Jewish culture. Okay. So there's a bit of debate on how exactly it functioned, but essentially it was about 71 elders of Israel gathered together and were essentially acting as the supreme court of the Jewish people. Yeah, yeah. Right, within their own bounds. Obviously Rome had rule, but here we see that where they they came to to the Romans to get Jesus crucified, they actually gave their own death sentence Mm -hmm. to Stephen, which was not supposed to have happened, right? So you can see the lengths at which the animosity had grown against this group of believers in Christ. Yeah. So he comes and he's got basically official papers to say, man, I've got the approval to take not only men, but also women, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to take them prisoners back to Jerusalem to be tried against the Sanhedrin for their heresy of believing that Jesus is the fulfillment of the messianic prophecies. Yeah, wow. And so he's coming and says he's breathing threats almost as if to say these threats of murder, he's, this is what he breathes, Yeah. right? Like this is, this is the full intent of his life right now. And this, this is, is what keeps him going. squash this, you know? this heresy. Yeah, yeah, really heavy, really heavy. It also, as a note, it calls them the way, which is what the, what the Christians called themselves up until they were called Christians in Antioch later on in Acts. So just so you know, so, so you're aware, the yeah. way is another a way of calling the Christians. Yeah. Oh, and it gets so much better. And I'm looking at the time and I'm, I'm thinking, how far can I get? So <laughs> he goes and he's with a group of people and they're coming to Damascus. Now, do you know how far Damascus is from Jerusalem, by the way? I really don't. 218 kilometers as okay. the crow flies. Yeah. That's literally what Siri said to me, as the crow flies. <laughs> So 218 kilometers, this is, remember, he was probably traveling on foot. Yeah. Maybe by horseback, but it's not indicated in the story. So he has traveled over 200 kilometers in order to find these group of people. 
and bring them back to try them for blasphemy. Yeah. And as he's going on this moment on the road, he's going and all of a sudden this flash of light takes place. And in this flash of light, he sees this person and the person begins to speak to him in Hebrew and call him by his name, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is Lauren Daigle, How Can It Be?
Welcome back to Real Faith on Faith FM. Just a friendly reminder that if you have any questions about the Bible, things that you are dying to know or would, would like some extra insight on, you can call in at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text in at 0491-064-669 or contact us via our Facebook page at Faith FM Radio Show. All right, so we're going to get back into it. So he's walking. Paul's walking. Well, I might say Paul or Saul. It's the same guy. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Saul is walking towards Damascus. He sees this bright light, and it's astounding what takes place. He looks. He falls on his face or falls on his back, and yeah. he's on the ground, right? This, this supernatural light. Now, think about this. It doesn't tell us here, but it tells us later in Acts 22 and 26, mm-hmm. where Paul relates this story two more times. Yeah. When he's under trial, he says that it was midday. Yeah. So think about this. If I lived in Las Vegas for a couple of years in the middle of the desert at midday at, at 12 noon, it is bright yeah. in the desert. Yeah, yeah. Right? He's for walking sure. through the Syrian desert toward Damascus. It is the middle of the day. And above the bright, shining light of the sun, this brightness of Jesus' appearance yeah. knocks him down. It's so astounding. Yeah. And not only that, he hears in his own language, it says, in the, in the later stories, it was in the Hebrew language. Mm-hmm. Now, up to this point in the story, it, 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 it writes the word Saul in the Greek translation of it, right? Yeah. But here, when Jesus says it, it's a Hebrew word. Yeah. And he calls him Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Yeah. Now, question, was Jesus being persecuted? No, I was thinking about that as I was reading this story earlier today and thinking, yeah, he, he goes straight to why are you persecuting me? And it really reminds me as well when Jesus says that what you do to other people, you do unto me. You know, that when you, that you help the least of these, you're helping me. Mm. And I think for us, it's kind of like a nice sentiment that you think about, but maybe it's too heavy. You don't want to think about it too much because he says, man, if you're persecuting God's people, you're actually basically persecuting me. He That's relates right. it to that. I'm so close to them that you're actually offending me. That's right. So when you're doing damage to the people of God, you're actually damaging Jesus's body. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He the says, body you're, of God. you're yeah. persecuting me. Yeah. Because, you know, Jesus calls the church his bride, yeah. right? And when people enter into marriage, it's one flesh, right? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? He it makes actually, this, this connection to humanity, which yeah. is beautiful. It actually just reminds me um, of the story that we had just from Lynn then, who was she was sharing in her testimony how much that her sister's pain hurt her. Mm. And she was hurting so much because of her sister. And it's that kind of relationship that you're so close that that's what we see here. And this is what Jesus says to Saul. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's so profound. So just imagine you're Saul. Yeah. You've just seen this thing and this, like you ever have somebody come up to you on the street who knows you, right? Like maybe it turns out, you find out eventually that they know your name because they're like, they grew up with your mom and they're like, wow, you look so much like your dad, Uh right? Or you look so much like your mother Yeah, and they know, like you've ever had that experience? Someone comes up to you and they're like, Rebecca! (laughs) Like they know you, but you don't know them. And you're like, who are you? Yeah, 100%. Do I know you? I have had that. Now check this out. So Jesus shows up in a supernatural way, yep. blinds the guy. He falls over. He's like just totally like flabbergasted, says his name in Hebrew. The people that he's with don't understand what's going on. They, they hear the sound, so to speak, but they, they, they don't understand. And we can talk about that. There's some textual evidence yeah. there to suggest that that's the case. Yes. They see the light, but they don't see the form of Jesus' body, but he does. Yeah. And he says, Saul, Saul. And just imagine the moment you're like, 
what is going on? Who is this? Yeah. And how do they know my name? And you'd be freaking out, man. And he, he addresses him. He says, Lord. And so the way that Saul addresses Jesus is recognizing that he has authority. Like this is, he knows that this is authority that he's speaking to right now. Mm, so let's find out how does he respond. So let's read from verse five through verse nine. Yeah. He said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. All right, now this is full on. So how would you respond? Beck, Beck, why are you persecuting me? Yeah. Right? You would be going through your mind, well, that's that's the mission that he was on. So he knows who he's well, talking about. Well, first of about. all, who are you? Yeah. Right? And that's what he says. He's like, he's like, uh, who are you, Lord? Yeah. Like, hey, I, I recognize that you're something special here. Yeah. This is supernatural, but who are you? Yeah. And then he says, I am Jesus, mm. whom you are persecuting. Yeah. Right? Isn't that an astounding response? And... Just imagine being Paul, being Saul here, and you just you just know that's going to happen all day, by the way. In case you're wondering, I'm going to keep saying Saul and Paul. It's just going to happen. And just imagine what it would be like to go, I have just been given papers officially allowing me to imprison people to be tried for heresy, for blasphemy. Yeah. Because they put, the, they put their faith in this Jesus who they say was resurrected from the dead, and all of a sudden you've just seen him. And I, it's that moment. I think we've we've all had different moments in our life that like, oh no, moment. Like that moment of I was wrong, and you know you were wrong. And he would have had that like that. I was wrong. Like this was the wrong decision. And now, totally. what would be going through his head? What do I do? Do I fix this? How do I change? Um, and then he can't see anything. He leaves from that, and it's just that he he can't see. He can see no one, and they lead him by the hand. That would have been a really humbling experience, you know, totally. for him being this leader and then being led and not being able to see. You would have been going through your mind. For me, I would have been thinking, "Am I now blind for the rest of my life?" Yeah, because of what I've done. And I love this. Before before all of that takes place, there's just one little extra thing. He says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Yeah. And isn't that the response that all of us ought to have when we have an encounter with Jesus? Mm, when you yeah. see the risen Christ, when you, when you have an encounter that you don't know how to deny, where God shows up in a powerful way in your life, the only appropriate response is, I recognize that I was wrong. Yeah. What do I do now? And this is what Paul does, right? Yeah. He's yeah. like, I, Lord, what do I do? What do you want me to do? It's really beautiful because something I was thinking about at reading this, thinking, yeah, he asked Jesus, what should I do? But we often have this thought, like we're seeking God. I'm looking for God. I'm trying to find God. You know, I, I believe he might be there. People might be on that journey. They're trying to find God. But here is a story which really recognizes that God is looking for us. And he's right. searching God is looking for, for us. You. He wants us and he wants you. And here we see that Jesus seeks out Saul and then he has a task for him. And I just think that's a beautiful representation of God looking for us. I love it. I love it. Just imagine this, this conversation. Oh, so good. And then, and then I love this. He says, Jesus says in response, he says, arise, because mm -hmm. he's still on the ground. Yeah. He says, 
arise and go. And this is a statement that you're going to see all through the book of Acts. Yeah. Get up, go. Yep. Arise, go. Yep. Arise, go. And it even happened before the book of Acts. We see in Jesus, in so many of his times when he healed people on earth, he says, get up and go. And often he doesn't tell you where you're going. He doesn't tell you the end goal. He just says, get up and start walking in faith. I love Man. it. All of Jesus's biddings yep. are enabling. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. That's one of my favorite authors says that. Yeah. When, when, when Jesus makes a command, when God says, do this, mm-hmm. he's enabling you by his spirit to be able to do what he's calling Amen. you to do. Isn't that cool? Amen, that's so, so cool. So check this out. He then, it says in verse eight, then Saul arose from the ground and when his eyes were open, he saw no one, but they led him by hand, right? So he mm-hmm. got up and yeah. he went, but yeah. he's blind. Yeah. And so for three days, he's, he's he sees nothing. Mm-hmm. And imagine he knew the scriptures, like he knew all of these things. He knew Torah, he knew the prophets, he knew the writings, and he would have been racing through his mind. And all of a sudden, just imagine the anguish and the searching of heart and the searching of scriptures going, is, how did I miss that Jesus is the Messiah? Yeah, yeah. And he would have been racing through these things and praying for repentance because yeah. he knows that he's been guilty of, he, he thought he was doing God's work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He thought that by persecuting this group of people, he was working for God. Yeah. And he finds out that in what he thought he was doing for God, he was working against God. Yeah, totally. Sometimes the wrong thing. we find ourselves doing the very same thing. Yeah, yeah. So let's keep reading and let's find out what goes on from here. Now, we're going to fly through this. And when I say that, I just mean we're going to read it in one go. <laughs> so. If you could read for us the next verse, and if you could read just verse 10 through verse 19, we're just gonna, we're gonna go like gangbusters here. Okay. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the the disciples at Damascus. Oh, man, that was a lot. That was so much. Thank you for reading that. Check this out. Let's do a quick summary. So the next thing that happens, so so, so Saul comes into the city. Yep. He's there for three days fasting. Mm-hmm. No and food. And praying. Yeah. I don't imagine he slept much. Yeah. I just imagine the intensity of the anxiety of what he would just experienced. And and by the way, he, he knows that it was not a dream. Mm-hmm. He knows that it was not just a vision because... He's blinded by yeah, it. Yeah, he has a physical This was a reality. real physical light yeah. that did a physical thing to yeah. him. And so he can't just go, oh man, I just had a, you know, I just had a bad dream about a shark. Mm-hmm, no, no, mm-hmm. no. No. He just had a real experience with the God of the universe. Yeah. And so he's blind and he's waiting and he's praying. And I love this. The, the interaction is like this. God shows up to a faithful disciple who was also a Jew, mm-hmm. who was in the city. 
named Ananias. And he yep. speaks to Ananias and he says, hey, arise and go. Notice yep. it's happening already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, there's a guy named Saul of Tarsus. He's praying. And guess what? In a vision, he saw a guy named Ananias, by the way, <clears throat> that's you, Yeah. come to him and give him what he needs to know, put his hand on him so he might receive his sight. So in other yep. words, he's like, look, I already done told mm-hmm. Paul yep. that you are coming. Yeah. So you need to get up and go. And the next bit I love, actually, <laughs> like I think it's so cool because Ananias, like you say, he's a faithful disciple. And then he has this interaction with, with God and he's like, oh, man, I've heard about Saul. And so it's so funny because he's like, God, like I think you missed something and I'm just <laughs> informing you because I want you to know um, that that this guy's done a lot of harm. Like, I think you missed something really important here. This guy's done a lot of harm. And I just want you to know, maybe this isn't the best decision. He's just telling him in respect, God, I'm telling you that. I love that. He's like, he's like, uh, Hey, uh, I've heard from a lot of people. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I didn't just hear this for once, but like, Hey God, I heard from a lot of people. This dude's done some bad things. And that's literally where it says, where it says that word for harm. Literally that's, that's bad things. Yeah. 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 He's done some bad things. Right. (laughs) And he's come here with authority yeah. to do that to me. Yeah. And all of those here who call on your name. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, uh, and I love this because God is not afraid, like we said before, of our conversations, no. our questions, it's our doubts, beautiful. our wrestles, our struggles. Yeah. And in this interaction, it, it actually highlights that Ananias has a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Saul didn't. Mm-hmm. He shows up and he says, Saul, Saul. And he's like, who are you? Mm-hmm. Which is the appropriate response if you don't know Jesus. Yeah. But Ananias knows Jesus. And when he says, Ananias, notice he calls him once and he says, here I am, Lord. Yeah. Here I am. Beautiful. Because when you're in relationship with Jesus, you start to learn his voice. Mm -hmm. And because God has developed trust with this man, he says, okay. And after he says his piece and God says, no, go. Yeah. I've appointed Saul Mm -hmm. to be specifically my vessel. Mm. He has been elected for the purpose. I've chosen him to be the bearer of good news for specifically all non-Jewish people. Yeah. Also to appear before kings and even as well the children of Israel. Yeah. And I love this. And so Ananias goes. Ananias goes and he comes in. And how does he greet him? He calls him something. He says, brother Saul. And he calls him his Hebrew name again. Yeah. He says, brother Saul. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing that he says. He doesn't say, hey, let me just check and make sure that you're here, make sure that you're right. No, no, no. He says, God told me, I know. Yeah. Brother Saul. Yeah. And then he lays his hands on him. He says, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road sent me so that I could come so you could receive your sight, mm-hmm. so that you could receive your Holy Spirit. And he prays, he lays his hands on him. And, and Saul receives the Spirit of God. Saul's scales fall off his eyes, which yeah. is a medical way of describing that his, his eyes are now seeing again. And at this point, the next question is, what's he going to do? And the story tells us he gets up and is baptized in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is Rend Collective, Love Divine. Fixing us, thy humble dwelling, 
lost in wonder, love and Welcome back to Real Faith on Faith FM. You're with Robbie and Beck, and I just wanted to, again, one more reminder before we go to our next break. This will be the last chance if you've got any burning Bible questions you want to send in. Please send in in. a question. Send in a question. How can they do that, Beck? Uh, They can send in a question by calling in 1-800-324-843. They can text in 0491-064-669, or you can hit up our Facebook page, Faith FM Australia. Awesome. All right, so Paul has just been baptized. Yeah. He's just fully, like, in, in terms of, like, political, social positions, he's essentially gone from being an oppressor of Christians yeah. to becoming a Christian himself. Yeah, the opposite. In a three-day experience. Crazy. Right? This is a huge transformation. As you can imagine, <laughs> the people who hear of Saul's conversion are a little wary that maybe this is not a real thing. and maybe. Yeah. Maybe he's just saying this as a way to get them to identify themselves so that he can persecute them more easily. Yeah, is this a setup? Because that's, that's exactly what the Pharisees what they tried to do to Jesus, right? They, they set him up in different ways. So they're thinking, mm, is this true? Is this real? And especially with the quickness of the conversion. I wonder sometimes we see people and they might have had a change of heart and you're like, is this real? Like, how long is this going to stick, right? Yeah. And so the question I have now is, what takes place? Now, mm-hmm. for those of you who are aware, Paul becomes goes on to become, you know, the first, really the, uh, should I say that? Well, he's one of the first missionaries. He's not the first missionary. The demoniac that we talked about on the very first episode of this show was yeah. actually the first yeah, missionary. Yeah, but yeah. anyway, That's true. he's one of the early Christian missionaries. Yeah. And he specifically reaches out to non-Jewish people as mm-hmm. his primary target of who he's trying to reach. And we, any of you who are, are not Jewish by, by descent, by, by your relations, actually have Paul to thank yeah. for for your invitation into the gospel, right? Because he was the, the forerunner of this understanding. God gave it to him clearly, and he made such strong arguments. He wrote half the New Testament books he yeah. authored. So he is, he is a man that we are incredibly indebted to that the Holy Spirit spoke through in powerful ways. So what happened, right? So we have, here's his encounter with Jesus. We know that he comes to faith. We know that he is baptized and it says that he spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. But what happens from there? So let's read from verse 20 to verse 22 
And then we're going to get a bit of extra insight from Galatians. Cool. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Awesome. So I love this. What does he, what does he start to do? He starts to preach Christ. He starts away. to preach Jesus. Straight away. And the word there that's used, there's, by the way, there's three words for preach in, in the Greek. And this one specifically means publicly heralding a message. Yeah. So this means he was publicly declaring. So he comes here with papers to persecute and take Christians back for trial in Jerusalem. He never turns the papers in. Never. He arrives and he starts declaring to the people that Jesus is actually the fulfillment of yep. all the scripture. Yeah, which shows that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, that he knew what to share, that he had the intent, that he had the zealousness as well. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Now, just before it continues on, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but in the book of Galatians in chapter 1, Paul gives actually a little bit more information that's not included in the story here mm-hmm. of what he did because it says he spent some days with the disciples or the followers in Damascus, yes. and then later on it says after many days, yeah. he went on to do other things. But at this point in time, he actually goes on a journey, and I think it's relevant for a particular reason. So Galatians chapter 1, do you want to read for us yeah. from verse 15 onward? Yeah. So this is Paul speaking. But when it pleased God, he separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And the next verse. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. And then he says, I didn't see anybody else except a couple other people. And the point here, Mm. the major thing that's going on here is that he says in defense to the the, the believers in Galatia later on in his ministry, he says, look, I didn't find these things out secondhand. Yeah. He's saying, I didn't didn't go and learn this from the apostles. Mm -hmm. I didn't go and learn this from someone else. I'm I'm not a second generation Christian here. He's saying, I received these very things from God himself. Yeah. And later on. Right, he says, because he says, I, I went out to Arabia. So here we For have three years, mind you. Like that was a that was a long time. So he's he spent a significant amount of time out here, right? And now it doesn't say specifically he was in Arabia for three years, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it wasn't until three years that later he that he went them. to Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah. So it could be up to three years, but it could be less. Mm-hmm. But either way, he went from preaching in Damascus to a sojourn on his own into Arabia, where I imagine he was wrestling with, continuing to seek to understand where God was teaching him how Jesus fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies. Yeah. And what I love about this is this highlights to me the importance of personal relationship with God. Yeah, 100%. It's not hearsay. What he's learning, he didn't just hear from someone else. Now, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. We all can, can learn and benefit from other people and from their experience. But this man's journey included a time where he went and sought God from Scripture himself. Yeah. Yep. Right? And that's so powerful. And God revealed himself. And specifically to Saul, it says, he says elsewhere that he received numerous revelations from God, which is powerful, so powerful. So jumping back into the story, I want to hear what happens next. And we're, we could study Paul for the rest of the year and we I would know. not exhaust it. So 
We're back in Acts chapter 9, and I just want to read verse 23 through 25. Yeah. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. So check this out. Here's Saul who came in order to kill Christians. Mm -hmm. He meets the risen Jesus on the road. He has a radical transformation. He accepts what God reveals to him. He starts to understand his own scriptures are actually revealing this Messiah that he misunderstood. And he goes out of this very city under persecution where someone else is trying to kill him for being a Christian. Yeah. What an incredibly miraculous transformation. Yeah. And also, and really ironic as well. You know, sometimes I think that I know that God didn't cause the persecution, but sometimes it seems kind of humorous how he works and suddenly that Saul is the one and you're like, oh man, how how ironic. I wonder sometimes he sat there and he was like, Lord, this is probably funny in a different situation. This would be really funny. <laughs> yeah, totally. And and I you know this is this is the beginning of what happens in Paul's journey because Paul suffers so much physically for his faith in Jesus and for his ministry. Yeah. He later on goes on to tell us that five times he received the 40 minus one, which is lashings with a rubber belt, like a, a rubber, not rubber, sorry, a leather belt by the Jews, which yeah. was basically supposed to be, if you got 40, you'd die. So yeah. we'll just do 39. Yeah, yeah. Five times he received that. Yeah. Three times he was beaten with rods by the Romans and their goal was to break every bone in your body to make you an example to not mess with Rome. Yeah. Three times. Once he was stoned, and either he died and was resurrected or he was so convincingly close to death they dragged him that they the dragged city. him out of the city yeah. and leave him there yeah. thinking he's dead and he's resuscitated by God somehow. He wakes up and he keeps he gets up and he just goes on and keeps preaching. Yeah. And we see that this this resilience in Saul and Paul's experience from this from this point forward his life is dramatically changed. Mm, amen. So a couple of applications to take out of this story. Yeah. Number 1 we can be zealous for truth, but we should not destroy others with our understanding of it, right? Yeah, yeah. The goal should be to seek truth and to seek to lead others to that truth. Yeah. It's God who's going to judge, and we should not take the judgment and vengeance into our own hands, right? A couple of other things that, that really stick out to me from this story is that sometimes God will call you to bring those who persecute you mm. to have faith in him. Yeah. Ananias was called to bring his persecutor to God. And it's not Ananias who took the gospel to the Gentile world. It was the man who came to persecute Ananias. Yeah. And God used him as a man to bring him into the faith. And maybe God is going to give you that opportunity. Maybe God is going to put someone in your life who you don't think deserves to know who Jesus is. And who you question, like Ananias did. He questions, he's like, Lord, is this, are you really right? And sometimes I think you're right, Robbie. Sometimes you'll see someone and you, oh, I should pray for that person or I should share with that person, but you have something holding you back. Do you really, is this the person? But remembering that God wants everyone to come to knowledge of him. So every single person that you see, you we are supposed to share with, right? That's exactly right. So be zealous, but be zealous for the right things, Yeah. right? Be zealous to introduce people to the Savior who will change their life. We also need to check our understanding as, as to what God tells us is our understanding. And we're going to come back and give a little bit more on this in just a moment. This is Josh White, enclosed by you. Will you stay with me? 
And I forget your face Will you still love me? When my love lingers elsewhere I hear you softly Secrets that are close Words that softly linger With sweet repose And I'll never leave you Jesus, look falling 
his wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strangely dim In the light of his glory and grace Oh, to Jesus I surrender all To him I freely give presence daily You know what time it is? Question of the day. Alrighty, welcome back. We're super excited um, to have the question of the day. And the first question that we've got today is from Nigel. And he says, who is Cain's offspring? For those that might not be aware, Cain was the name of the first of Adam's sons. Yeah. And he was guilty of the first murder in human history. He killed his brother Abel. Yeah. And the question is, who were his offspring? So... Beck's going to read for us just from Genesis chapter 4 who his literal offspring were in the story. Go for yeah. it. Yeah. We actually just have one, though, it's re- that we can find recorded, which is Genesis 4 and verse 17. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And then Enoch has children, and those children have children. Um, so that's the only one that we can see recorded there. So what we see here is we see that his descendants are listed as all the other genealogies. Mm-hmm. And they're listed there. The challenge, I suppose, is who are the Cainites today? Yeah. And the, the simple answer to that is they pretty much died out because we have the flood take place in Genesis chapter 6, and it says that the only survivors of all the peoples of the earth were Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives. Yeah. So unless one of Noah's uh, son's wives or his own wife had been a Cainite who had then become faithful to the God of, to the God, the God who would be then called the God of Abraham. Yeah. Um, 
they would have all died out in the flood, apparently. So, yeah, likely there was no... So, likely there are no descendants of yeah. Cain in the world today. Mm-hmm. So, hopefully that answers your question, Nigel. The second question that we've got here is from Selena. And the question is summarized as, when Christ revealed himself pre-incarnate, which means before he became human, when Christ revealed himself in pre-incarnate to the Jews, why did he not tell them that he is the Messiah? Mm-hmm. Could this be the reason that many Jews don't accept him? And we're going to do our best to answer this question in the time allotted to us. But the first thing I would like to say is that there are a couple of ways that Jesus is mentioned as pre-incarnate. The first that's commonly accepted by all scholars pretty much is that Jesus pre-incarnate was referred to as the angel of the Lord. Yep. Um, And we're going to deal mostly with that one at the moment. So there's a number of places where we see the angel of the Lord show up. The first thing I want to highlight is that in many of the occurrences where the angel of the Lord appears, he actually refers to himself with divine titles for God. So this is the angel of the Lord, who we know to be the pre-incarnate Christ, making divine statements. So in the burning bush story in Exodus chapter 3, we have a number of statements that take place. And if you're not familiar with that, this is the, the same chapter of Scripture that Jesus quotes when he says, I am before he says, before Abraham was, I am. assuredly I tell you, I am. Mm-hmm. He was equating himself with divinity. And in Exodus chapter 3, in verse 2, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, etc., etc. And then he begins to speak to Moses. And if we come down to verse 6, he makes a claim. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Mm-hmm. And then later on, as, as it continues, it actually calls him the Lord, which yeah. is Yahweh. Mm-hmm. And it then calls him God, which should be Elohim as well. So we have the angel of the Lord here claiming divinity. We see this happen a number of places. You also see this with Gideon. Yeah. Gideon is approached by the angel of the Lord. He offers sacrifices to the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord receives those, of course, only God is worthy of worship, mm-hmm. and so the angel of the Lord here equates himself with divinity. Yeah. We know that the angel of the Lord is Christ. This is affirmed by Jesus' statement in John eight fifty eight, where he says the quotation from Exodus three fourteen. Also, when the angel of the Lord appears to Hagar in Genesis chapter 16, we have the story where, where God saves Hagar and her son Ishmael, the, mm-hmm. the, the cast out son of Abraham, who is not the son of promise, right? You have her responding and saying, this is the God who sees, saying this is the name that she gave to the Lord who spoke to her, speaking of the angel of the Lord. So this is just a brief way of saying the angel of the Lord continuously claims to be divine, to be God. Yeah. And this is really, really fascinating because we know the angel of the Lord is pre-incarnate Christ. Now, the second part of the question is, how come we don't seem to see as many places where the angel of the Lord says, hey, I'm going to come as the Messiah, Mm -hmm. right? So that's kind of the question that's being presented here by Selena. And there are many places that we could turn to look at this, but we just ran out of time to find a bunch of them. So you should definitely look into this further. But I want to get you to look up Psalm 110 verse 1 for us, Beck. Yeah. And I'm going to turn to Psalm chapter 2 verse 7. Now, these are just two small examples. There are many. Yeah. But in these places, these are what are called messianic prophecies in the Psalms. So they are messianic Psalms. And in Psalm 2 is widely recognized and was then even 
of being a psalm that referred to the appointed Messiah. Mm -hmm. And in this passage, it's very interesting. It goes through and talks about this messianic figure. And in verse seven, God is saying, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. So this is referring to the Messiah, which we know to be the same character. Um, can you read for us Psalm yeah. 110? This highlights this again. Psalm 110 verse 1 says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And so we see that the in Acts chapter 2, I believe it is, the preaching of Peter, he actually uses this as a reference to say that David wasn't writing about himself. He was yeah. writing about the anointed, and he called him who? My Lord. The Lord. Mm. So he's equating my Lord with the Lord, mm -hmm. Yahweh, who the angel of the Lord also says he is. So this, again, kind of just affirms that idea. The last one that we'll look at for sake of time, and I want to encourage you, Selena, if you want more information, you can get in touch with us on the Facebook page. But lastly, Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7 is another messianic prophecy, and it says this. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, interesting that the son is called the father, Prince of Peace, and verse 7 it says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And so these are just a few examples, but if you look through Isaiah particularly, there are many references where it equates the Messiah with the Lord. And we know that the angel of the Lord, who is the pre-incarnate Christ, mm -hmm. is referencing to himself as also being the Lord. Yeah. And so this title of same. Yahweh, exactly. Yeah. And so this title of Yahweh is being given to the angel of the Lord, also to the Father. We see reference to the Spirit in Genesis. So there's all of these interesting connections and correlations. And I would say that people like Saul began to see once they understood their misunderstandings that Jesus was the fulfillment of all of these prophecies. And he then took that on to teach others that Jesus was this very Messiah. This is Sarah Groves, When the Saints.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. We're yeah. so glad that you uh, have been able to join us on this lovely, cold, not so wet day driving home. Um, <laughs> hey, just one other thing that I wanted to mention. Thank you so much for those 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 callers in who gave us those questions. We love to hear from you guys. Um, it's always a bit of a race to yeah. get prepared to answer Against a question, the clock, right? <laughs> but it's really it's really been a blessing. So thank you for those questions. And one other book I'd recommend to anyone interested in that question that Selena raised is a book called God Crucified by Richard Bauckham. One of the best books I've read on mm, the topic. Awesome. And it just kind of addresses a lot of the, a lot of the questions around, well, well, where did this idea of, of God becoming flesh, where is that in the Old Testament? How do we see it? And it's, it's a very, very powerful book. It's about 100 pages long. It's a little academic, so it may take a little bit of time to digest, but it's a fantastic book, God Crucified by Richard Bauckham. And just uh, want to thank you guys for joining in today. Man, what an gr- amazing story about Paul. Hey. Yeah, beautiful story. Something that um, I had that I just wanted to give as like a takeaway yeah. from it that I was thinking of is, you know, what happened to Paul when, when the scales were there and when he was blind and when he couldn't see and he was being led away and he's just in that room praying. Um, and I'm thinking, man, we don't always see the situation, what's happening. We don't know what's happening in our life. And people right now might have a situation where they don't know what's happening. They don't see what's happening. But my my encouragement to you is always to seek Jesus and always mm. to pray and spend that time in prayer um, and, and seek Jesus and seek God. Mm. And then when God has an answer or something that he wants to tell you, he will tell you but he will tell you to go in faith so like what he did to paul he told him to arise and go but he didn't tell him necessarily where to go or what to do he said get up and follow me in faith and sometimes our following in faith is just living every day step by step wherever we are and then praying and trusting in god through that whole process it's so true we actually talked about this in a bible study group at my house last night we were (laughs) talking about the point that god doesn't always reveal everything that you want to know but he reveals enough for you to get started yeah and I love that. And I love what you're saying there about blindness too, because the truth is like, like the, like the well-known song, Amazing Grace, it wasn't until Paul met Jesus mm-hmm. that he became not blind. Yeah. The physical Beautiful. blindness was a reminder that he was actually spiritually blind. Yeah. Yeah. And it was now that he could see for the first time, literally, yes, but it was while he was blinded that he began to first see reality as it is in mm, Jesus. Beautiful. And I love that. I once was blind, but now I see. So if you're out there and you are in that space and you want to know more of who Jesus is, we encourage you to reach out, contact us via our Facebook page. We can get you in touch with some people, but give your heart to Jesus so that you can declare, I once was blind, but now I see. So thank you guys. I'm going to do a shameless plug and invite you. Come hit us up if you're interested in learning more. Coast Life Adventist Church, New South Wales. You can hit us up as well because we're going through some stuff at our church. And uh, as you go about your week, just remember that real faith is lived faith. faith.